Hey, welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Today we're talking our favorite albums of 2016. This is a big conversation, so we're breaking this one into two episodes. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here with my two brothers, Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis. You can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Please rate and review us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter and Facebook for more info. Now let's get to the albums of the year, 2016. Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Uh, today we are talking the albums of the year, 2016. Uh, we did a top 20 uh, relatively uh, scientific uh, approach, uh, given the people who involved here. Uh, Christian can, can let you know a little bit about how uh, the votes were tabulated. And um, But go ahead, Christian. Sure. Um, so basically, we, we each came up with our, our top 20 lists. Um, one through 20, and then assigned 20 points for number one, uh, 19 points for, for number two, effectively, um, and, and ranked them that way. And then we took the aggregate scores, so we basically just added up um, the areas where there were overlap. Uh, and in a number of these cases, of course, there were. They were ranked at different places, um, but then took those aggregate scores and, and uh, fed them into one single list. So we've now whittled down our three lists to uh, to one list of of, uh, of twenty great albums um, that that we really liked this year, um, and we are uh, ready to kick them off here. About to um, count it down. Yeah. So um, thank you. Uh, we had to find the the brother here that had taken math in college. <laughs> so um, Christian's nickname is so Beautiful actually, Mind, by the way, just in case. <laughs> So we're going to go backwards from t- uh, 20 to 1, uh, typical countdown style. We're not invent- reinventing um, the way these are done. But uh, the first one I'm going to ask Jer to uh, kick off and talk about Cass McCombs' latest. Yeah, mangy love. So uh, thanks, Wynn. And uh, <clears throat> it's funny, I-, I was thinking a little bit about lists and, and top album lists, and-, and I personally always look forward to the... Uh, the lists that come out at the end of the year and, and mainly because I'm lazy and it's where I get to like uh, cherry pick all the music I want to listen to or that I haven't uh, had time to listen to or that I sort of, um, you know, ignored. And now I feel a lot of pressure with this brother, brother pod to uh, be a tastemaker. So we're going to start with uh, mangy love by Cass McCombs who, you know, is a guy that can, I think this might be his ninth album consistently puts out very good kind of, uh, if not somewhat similar style of album, singer-songwriter, kind of, um, you know, here and there gets, you know, a change in pace. And I, I think the cool thing about Mangy Love is it, it's a little bit musically different for him. He, he taps into a couple different styles. There's some, you know, kind of smooth sort of 70s kind of funk um funk for Cass McCombs that is um songs there's a you know even a song that has a little bit of like a reggae beat and you know I just again it's like a guy that I constantly forget about every year and he seems to put out an album at least every year every other year and at the end of the year I'm pleasantly surprised that he has one for me to listen to and some of the highlights on this one Opposite House which features uh, Angel Olsen backup vocals I really love the the opening track Bum 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 and uh, I'd like to hear what you guys think if you had a chance to listen to it. Yeah, I, I, well, my history with Cass McCombs is, is good. I always, you know, I, I like and I love humorous. Um, uh, you know, I love the songs like the same thing and Robin Egg Blue. The thing about Cass McCombs is that I, you know, I feel like he kind of he does mid tempo to down tempo, and he doesn't really change it up all that much. Um, and even his vocal delivery is, you know, seems to be sort of purposefully, um, you know, low key and minor. Um, so, you know, I, I wait to see, you know, when the Cass McCombs album comes out, that's that's wildly different. And I'm not sure that's coming. But again, like you said, um, every every you know time he puts out an album, whether it's you know a couple in one year, I think in 2011. Um, or, you know, he put, it's been about one every two years since. Um, he, you know, I'm, 
I'm not sure I care that much if there's a departure because I like what he does. Anyway, moving on, uh, I think we're going to jump to number 19, ironically. Um, Christian, show me the body. Yeah, um, so show me the body's album, Body War, which uh, which came out back in, in February. Um, I have to say, this is uh, this really struck me as, as sort of one of the most innovative hardcore, post-hardcore punk albums I've heard in a long time. Um, and it is a genre that I'll admit, you know, at, at times um, does start to feel a little bit same-ish. Uh, so I, I'm always excited when you hear something that just totally throws you for a loop um, and, and really doesn't sound like anything that you've uh, that you've heard lately. Um, these guys... Uh, like they're um, they're they're part of this uh, letter racer collective from sort of Ridgewood Queens, and uh, like a like a rap group um, locally called uh, called Rat King, which um, which got some uh, pretty good press I think last year or perhaps the year before. Um, but show me the body, you know, like Rat King I think, and like the other groups in this collective, really, um, you know, they pull from a, a an incredibly sort of diverse range of sounds. So it's you know it's hip hop and and rap, hardcore. Um, post-punk, but but even, you know, these sort of bluesier sounds as well. Um, and, you know, it's funny, they, they talked about, uh, I've, I've been doing the research for this, was looking up, um, I saw a Guardian article uh, or interview, actually, from beginning of the year, and they, they described their music as um, kind of a form of, of community organizing. Um, and I, I thought that was really, uh, really interesting and kind of, kind of apt because I, you know, I thought about it for a minute and, and then realized that it's community organizing in like the most dense and fragmented music community in the country, um, and possibly in the world. So, I mean, you have, you know, so many people who are from somewhere else and inevitably you have all these different subcultures that are living on top of each other, but they have nothing to do with each other. Um, you know, you've got, you've got the hardcore kids and you've got like the jazz enthusiast kids and the rap kids. Um, and you know, I think what's really interested, uh, what's really interesting about this is that it sort of takes guys who, who are from this place and who actually grew up here next to, you know, hipster, uh, hipster Williamsburg, um, to sew all these different pieces together, or maybe instead of sewing all the different pieces together, this is more like throwing a hand grenade, um, into, you know, into the, uh, into the local, uh, community hall. Um, so anyway, I think, you know, it's got touches of like Sype Hill and Rage um, and the rap delivery, but but also has some of these kind of cool like dub style Fugazi grooves that I really like. So I think, you know, it's one of these things I, I urge you guys go back and listen to it again, you know, approach it with an open mind. But but definitely like ask yourself how often you get to hear something that that you really can't push into a category Classify. at all. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of those on on the top 20, I think. So um you know i'm looking forward to talking about it but yeah i haven't really given show me the body the time i think it, it probably deserves um so i am going to uh take you're also not a, a 17 year old boy anymore so it, it may not you know it may not i think it definitely taps into that vein me. a little bit so yeah i uh but uh, you know hey i i can i can revert pretty easily yeah anyway, exactly um uh so moving next, yeah, moving forward, the next one on the list um, is 18, and that is uh, Steve Gunn. I have, uh, Steve Gunn is, is the uh, former guitar player for Kurt Vile and the Violators, and uh, I have to say that every bit of that shows. Um, it's, uh, you know, he has a very similar kind of uh, song structure or lack of song structure to Kurt Vile. It's, it's a, it's, it, it's a sort of laconic delivery and, you know, take, let it take, uh, let this take you where you're going. It sounds very loose, but it's obviously, um, you know, it's, it's played very deftly and it is, um, you know, it, it's not an easy thing to, um, to pull off. Uh, you know, he, he has, you know, these, all of the songs on this album, the ones that, you know, I liked in particular, the drop, ancient jewels, full moon tide, they're all sort of, you know, lengthy uh, with, you know, uh, um, you know, a basic kind of song structure. But then, you know, you, you take the last several minutes to, to kind of, you know, uh, just display the sort of um, guitar virtuosity uh, that he obviously possesses in the same way that, you know, if you're a Kurt Vile fan, you recognize that, um, uh, you know, you recognize that 
that sort of a song structure where, you know, Curve Vile has a, a good song going and then you realize, you look down, you realize that it's been on for eight minutes uh, and you haven't it's, gotten tired of it. It's so, fluid. Um, yeah, it's very fluid. It's it's not aimless, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and it's not jammy. You There's a definite, you know, roadmap to where he's going. It's just not necessarily... He's got the only copy. Yeah, it's not succinct. I'm sorry, I forgot to say the the album's called Eyes on the Lines. Um, And so, um, I don't know, what else, what did you guys think about the album? Because I'm, I'm, uh, for some reason, sort of rambling, not being able to really uh, put this in a very succinct fashion. This is the Life Imitates Art, um, I think, uh, delivery of um, Steve Gunn's Eyes on the Line album, um, where, you know, you're... I'm a method speaker. (laughs) It's a very meta, uh, yeah, meta approach to this review. No, I think, I mean, I'm with you. First of all, I just want to say, like, um, not to be too trade about this, but a guy named Steve Gunn is in a band with a guy named Kurt Vile, and these are yeah. both their given names. That's awesome. Um, but also, you know, I think... How did they uh, not have a band called Guns and Viles? That's a good point. I don't know. <laughs> um, this is this has got to come up in our uh, in our free band names segment, which will which will roll out soon. But um, no, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this too. And, and it was exactly like, I, you know, I knew who he was before I'd listened to the album and I got exactly what I expected and I was happy with that. Yeah, I think that was it. I think also, you know, I mean, the difference really between he and Kurt Vile and, you know, and obviously they're um, different players uh, and they're, you know, their voices and songwriting style are, are um, slightly different, but they're, they're aligned. Um, you know, Kurt Vile has a, a, um, a more distinct and stranger, quirkier kind of delivery uh, that that kind of, you know, it sort of ellipses, you know, he sort of sings in ellipses. Where Steve Gunn, um, I kept thinking, you know, when I was listening to it, and, and I mean absolutely no disrespect and, and by no means to disparage Steve Gunn by saying this, but he kind of has a similar voice to Bob Weir. Um, which you know, <laughs> how to me dare is absolute, you? Absolutely, but it, it, it's a strange thing. Every once in a while, I think Jeff Tweedy sounds like Jerry Garcia on certain songs. Um, wow! And, uh, but it, but then I realized that he also, you know, it's funny because he's playing with <laughs> Lee Ronaldo, uh, and if, you know, on on an upcoming tour, this is Steve Gunn, not Bob Weir. Uh, Steve Gunn and, and Lee Ronaldo are are doing a tour together, and I couldn't help thinking that Steve Gunn also sounds a little bit like Thurston Moore vocally, which makes you know. A equals B equals C uh, made me realize that Thurston Moore kind of sounds like Bob Weir. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving on from there. What, a, what, right. an, what an incredible yeah. revelation I think this album has produced. I think, so. I, might, I, think <laughs> I might need a minute. Can we take a break? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Process. Well, we, you've got one coming up in a little bit, but uh, uh, Jared, number 17, Radio. <laughs> yeah, I think you guys kind of just threw this one on me. I um, It was on my list, so... And, you know, just kind of a note on 2016 for me, it's sort of funny. I, I feel like the I had trouble filling in sort of the latter half of my list. There's some albums that I, I'm really excited to talk about in, in the upper echelon that I feel like were, were really amazing and, and great albums, but I felt like there was a huge drop-off. And, and not to put Radiohead in the huge drop-off world, but, um, you know, this was an album I got really excited about. They, they opened up with the single Burn the Witch, and then um, Daydreaming, I believe, and it was sort of, you know, I thought Radiohead's last album was probably their worst. So I, um, you know, you sort of are waiting for that return to form. And, and I won't say that uh, it's necessarily a return to the form of Radiohead that I love, but this is a, this is a, a, a dense... With, with, I think with Radiohead... I think with Radiohead, it's it's hard to say return to form because you never know what form. True, they yeah, no, absolutely. But I, I felt like the last one, Phantom Lim- Limbs, was kind of mailed in. Let's say um, it was a little bit of kind of just wanky um, jamming and, and sort of uh, you know electronics, and it just didn't seem very thought out. It seemed like oh, we got to put out an album. Whereas you know albums prior to that, I, I actually all of them have had you know high points and uh some low points but mainly high points this album's dense i mean it, it's it's a good album you, you really it's a headphone album it, it's it's very sort of uh 
quiet and I think um, Johnny Greenwood had a huge part in, in sort of the music of this where he's he's done a lot of film soundtracks lately and he's done a lot of dense sort of soundscapes and, and you can really hear it on Moonshade Pool. I, I This album grew on me quite a bit. It was initially a little bit of a, a snoozer for me and, and then as I kind of gave it time and, and luckily for me I, I spend lots of time in airplanes for my day job. I um, popped it on a, a few different occasions and, and really liked it. And so, I mean, it's not... I, I love Radiohead. I'm always going to give them a pass. They're, I think, one of the most interesting bands of our time, for sure. I think there's some highlights. I mean, I love the numbers. I love the singles. I thought Burn the Witch was a, a fantastic song. Um, but all the way through, it's it is. It's an album that I think you kind of have to listen to 1 through uh, one through 11 and, and kind of give it a give it a full take before you truly appreciate it. And um, what did you guys think? I, yeah. think? I think it's kind of interesting that you say that because, um, you know, I think one of the things uh, when I was putting together my list too, and I, and I too uh, had a little bit of difficulty, more sequencing the back half than, than really um, listing 10 good albums, but it was more a matter of, you know, which ones did I like better than the others? And, and the fact is that, you know, uh, yeah, I don't listen to albums in the same way that I used to. And so something, you know, I can get really get swayed by a single um, or a couple of songs. And then, you know, I don't really find myself throwing on a Cass McCombs album. I, I find myself more throwing three songs on a Spotify playlist um, for, for a Cass McCombs or a Phosphorescent or, um, you know, any number of those um kind of kind of artists that uh you know that that fit into that category I, what are you thinking christian well this is i mean that's an interesting point that you make just i think in terms of like the transportability of music these days and and really this has sort of been um pretty commonplace my whole life and frankly most of um jeremy's as well just in terms of uh uh you know carrying around a portable walkman or whatever it is but i mean i think um so interestingly when you were saying that i was thinking both jeremy and i travel uh, a fair amount and you know whether it's airports or whatever it's like that's always a great opportunity to just throw on an album and have it be the background soundtrack to whatever you're doing because you're you're wandering around or checking out or having lunch or whatever um but you know you, you don't necessarily have something else uh like that you're imminently sort of focused on um in your case like i can see how yeah it becomes a question of of you know hearing songs looking at reviews stuff like that um but I'm sure, you know, when you were growing up, it was like you really had to structure time to sit down and put on an album or a tape or CD or whatever it was, and you would sort of sit down and focus on it. And I think, you know, in some respects, Radiohead's always been, in my view, one of the best bands at constructing a complete album, right? Yeah. Like no no sec no moment, no movement in, in a second song on their album doesn't actually consider the balance and the offset that it that it might have in the 10th track of well, that album you know or it's like they, sorry go ahead no go ahead. i was gonna say it's a, it's a really awesome point you just made and, and not to go off on a, a huge tangent but since you know we kind of have that generational thing on this pod it, it's well you one thing you said just struck me so i agree i do the same thing i mean i'll be walking through an airport getting off a plane or, or you know heading in a car or whatever and have my headphones on and listen to an album and it's, it's not always the best way to listen to an album because you're sort of distracted but it, it is kind of a constant for me but i think the big difference is and i think you're absolutely right like radiohead is is a, a band that, that puts together an album is in, when you said in the past you had to kind of set out time you also didn't have access at your fingertips to millions of albums that you do now so i mean right. you had you know you had just bought radiohead and you may be able to bring it out on your your disc man or whatever but um you still kind of had a limited amount of albums in your collection and when i think you you also bought it yeah exactly you bought <laughs> well, it and I, but i well, and, and i think and i'll take that one sorry step. Uh, just oh, one on. point i just want to finish is i think i kind of approached this album in the new way that win was referencing which was like oh a great single a great song forgetting that like no i really have to kind of like give this album time because these guys are, are that good and they're worthy yeah they've earned it I was going to say, I just take it one step further when you're when you're talking about retrospectively listening to albums, and that is you just didn't have the um, technologically you didn't have the ability to change your mind mid song. Right. Um, it was on or it wasn't. 
Uh, you couldn't just be like, eh, you know, I want to hear the... I really yeah. like this bass line, and that reminds me of a bass line that I really, really like from this other yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, you can't watch 200 channels at once. Um, yeah, so should... Hard as I try. Should uh, So should we take a break for a second, um, I, and uh, we'll, we'll play one of these songs, and then um, we'll, uh, we'll come back after that and resume the list? Sounds Perfect. good. Perfect. Cool. back to Brother, Brother, Brothers, Albums of the Year 2016. Um, at number 16, actually, uh, we've got Danny Brown, uh, Atrocity Exhibition. And um, I love Danny Brown. There's, uh, there's something just, I don't know, alien about the guy that, that, makes, that really draws me to him. There, you know, it's not like I love every song or every delivery or everything he does, but there's something so strange about where he fits into the hip-hop world and where he fits into the, the sort of pop music world in general um, that makes me love this guy. And, uh, you know, um, the new album is strange. It, it, it's, you know, Danny Brown. It is... Um, it, what, I'm, what I'm finding about Danny Brown, um, which is, is funny, the, the thing that, that kind of struck me listening to this, because there's a lot of sex and drugs on a Danny Brown record. Um, but none of them seem that exciting or fun. Um, you know, in the first song, uh, he's talking about not being able to get it up and still trying to have a three-way. So, you know, it just, it, it, the whole thing about Danny, Danny Brown, as opposed to, uh, you know, the sort of history of hip-hop and the way that um, it's, you know, it's been laid out foundationally, um, Danny Brown sounds more like an addict than a drug kingpin, <laughs> and there aren't very many uh, hip hop artists that that sort of take that, um, you know, take that role of uh, or you know portray that role or the realism of of you know the disappointment of cert- of the street rather than you know the the um, grandiosity of yeah. the street. What do y'all think? I, I actually, I think that's a great point. Um, and I would say, you know, I would compare him, I think, uh, the, the first person always comes to mind when I'm talking about Danny Brown to me is, is old dirty bastard, right? Like, I mean, he is, he seems Looks. like, no, I mean, yeah, not, not necessarily his flow, but also the fact that he's such an off kilter personality, uh, in a world of people who are trying to demonstrate like this sort of incredible, like bravado, um, that, that everybody's got. I mean, as you say, it's, it's like the, you know, it's the, it's everything is a superlative um and everything is uh gotta be you know the richest like the nicest cars whatever you're the toughest you're the toughest dealer um and you're right there is something i mean like take a moment to reflect 
on the fact that this album is called Atrocity Exhibition, which is, of course, a <laughs> reference to Joy Division, um, of which he is he's said that he's a huge fan. And I, I would just note, I, I think I've said this before, but Vince Staples also, his album art last year, um, was, a, was a direct reference to... Uh, uh, to, to Joy Division's album art of the past as well. And I think, you know, in the case of both of these guys, like, I think that, that what, what they're really capturing and what they're really um, conveying or communicating incredibly forcefully is the fact that there is no, there is no, like, there is no dignity or glamour in actual dire poverty in, in you know, uh, in, in the slums in this country. Like, it's not a happy place. It's a violent, miserable, desolate place. And I think, you know, it's sort of, it's captured in the flow. Um, In Vince Staples' case, it's captured in his level of detachment from from the world. But, like, it's a really powerful uh, effect, I think. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, I find that uh, Vince Staples is kind of the intellectual um, assessment, and Danny Brown is the emotional assessment, kind of, of the street. That's a a perfect way of describing it, I think. Yeah, one is... When you just nailed it. I mean, I, I... think he's definitely just it's very raw you know and and uh and just weird as fuck right i mean the guy is just like he's not like anything well, else yeah it is it's it's like a, a bad uh it's like he's doing speed tweety. or something it's just not <laughs> it's not right you know yeah. um the funny thing is that i think his flow like the people that i i you know when i was thinking about it and it's taken me a while to come to this conclusion but his fellow uh detroit native uh, eminem is actually kind of a, a fairly um, you know, uh, a fairly yeah. significant parallel, I think. Be- you know, in the sense that certainly his early stuff was. Yeah, I mean, just the speed and the and the delivery and the kind of nasal, um, you know, uh, vocal tone, but also the anxiety. I think you know both of them sounded like they need therapy and benzos rather than um, whatever. whatever the hell they're taking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, which yeah probably does include benzos, but doesn't include therapy. Um, yeah, I mean more Zoloft, but yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it, you're absolutely. I think that's a good point. And then I mean we've got a we've just got to check Detroit here. I mean they've been it's a city that's really been on the on the front end or or sort of very forward thinking um, cusp. I think of you know the MC Five and, and Iggy Pop, of course, like are synonymous with that city. But I mean, I, I wonder if, in a way, um, these guys could turn out to do the same thing for for hip hop and rap in Detroit. And you always still gotta I, I would, love when yeah. hip hop. Certainly, Kid Rock fits pops that mold. up. Out I was going to throw up Bob Seger. <laughs> yeah, Bob Seger, Silver <laughs> okay, Bullet. Band. All right, so maybe maybe we're being selective in our yeah. All right, never mind. I take my point back. No, that? I was just going to say it's like you know getting the flaming lips out of Oklahoma City or something. You just you enjoy when when. Hip hop always almost centers around sort of Atlanta, New York, L.A., and it's it's you know I think there's been a huge Midwestern boom this last couple of years of, of really good hip hop. Yeah. yeah, Chance and uh, a number of others. Um, but yeah, the, the the standout track and the other two people that it, you know, I, oddly he kind of sounds like just because of the nasal delivery are Ad Rock and Be Real, who actually guests on this album. Um, Standout tracks are When It Rains, Really Doe, um, with uh, Kendrick Lamar. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it, I, I really like this album. Uh, I really like everything Danny Brown does just because I think you can, you know, regardless of, of what his particular uh, style is of the moment, it's always so distinctly him. So, anyway, moving on. Um, Christian, it's your turn. Lemonade. Really- a really jarring shift of, of worlds, I think. Yeah. We're, we're stepping out of Danny Brown's reality and, and into uh, Auntie Yancey's reality, as, uh, as Chance the Rapper calls her. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, uh, I think Beyonce's Lemonade for me, um, I, I should, in full disclosure, part of the point system here means that I was actually the only one who voted for this um, and the only one who put it on my list. Uh, so appropriately, I'm, I'm going to be uh, dishing on this for a second. But, um, you know, it's a... Let's just start by saying we both watched the movie first. Um, I, I did this Sunday night for the first time. I watched it again today before the pod. Um, it's a pretty movie. Uh, visual aids help a lot. Um, it certainly helps me pay attention to an entire album when um, I otherwise might not do that. Uh, I think this is sort of like uh, you know your your ancient equivalent of reading cave paintings or liner notes or whatever it was. Um, which don't exist anymore, uh, and I'm watching multi-million dollar production value movies um, to, to accompany my, my albums. Now, what was kind of interesting was, like, we got into a talk about this. Um, you 
you mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, you, you weren't crazy about the sort of spoken word stuff, and, and I wasn't either. I mean, I, I think it sort of fit in the movie a little bit, it but does. it's actually not, it's not part of the album, um, which, which I think is, uh, which I think is an important sort of distinction there. And when you actually just play the album, the MP3s or, or whatever on Spotify, um, you know, I, I would just highlight a few tracks, Hold Up, Don't Hurt Yourself, uh, Sorry, Six Inch, and uh, Freedom, I thought were all Freedom's great tunes. Freedom's a phenomenal song, yeah. Yeah, um, but I mean, those all have those have, those have some pretty awesome features. I mean, so you've got the weekend in there. You've got Jack White oh, um, yeah. appearing on this. Uh, Kendrick Lamar. I mean, it's it's an incredibly it's exactly the kind of tour de force talent that you would expect on her, you know, on on a production by by Beyonce. Um, I do think it's worth pointing out though that like she was not always she was not always this this sort of talented singular superstar with a story to tell. Um, I mean, and, and this is partly where I feel like I've sort of grown up watching her and, and, um, you know, seeing her in a glorified cheerleading outfit, Destiny's Child, um, and sort of morph into a real, I mean, what I, what I consider a real sort of solo artist in her own right. And, um, you know, I think that she has an incredible story to tell when she sort of chooses to, to, you know, keep a single sort of narrative theme in this album. And I think she does so here. Um, I was actually going to ask you, I mean, you know, it's so heavy handedly, uh, sort of autobiographical. Uh, and I think that what's kind of interesting is I, I sort of started thinking to myself, well, I couldn't find anywhere that she's actually talked about this openly as being autobiographical. She's never copped to that. Well, and here's the, yeah, that's what threw me is I couldn't separate you know, part of part of why I was less enthusiastic about this than a lot of people have been is that I couldn't really distinguish um, the act from, you know, I know this is meant to be intensely personal, and I'm, you know, obviously if you listen to it, um, you know, the the overtones are, are you know, it's, it's a very overt, you know, thing, is particularly with the spoken word. I mean, there's just, you know, full-on, you cheated on me, well, I'm going to fuck you up kind of stuff. Well, and there's the body very, double of the body double of Jay-Z in the movie. I mean, yeah, it's like exactly. such an obvious... And it's, it's much more overtly sexual, much more overtly physical, and um, sort of uh, feminist than she's been. Um, but at the same time, like, I couldn't help wondering... I, I don't for a second think that she's not in charge of this whole arrangement I was going to say affair um, <laughs> but I, I couldn't help thinking that there was that there was a strategy to it that wasn't as emotionally honest as I think they want it to come across and perhaps so, it so let me let me put this question back to you though and this is where I, this is where I really sort of started spinning in circles and thinking wow this actually I think this is something that's going to stand up for a long time what if it wasn't intended to and it's just intended to be a consistent narrative and a piece of art. What if it's her imagination running wild and it's just asking what her life would look like as a superstar if Jay-Z, her husband, cheated on her and did it in a public way? And, and then I started thinking, you know, this is actually just a mainstream pop version of the age-old punk rock question, which is, would anybody miss me and how would, how would the world be different if I were dead? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's a, I, I'm not sure... Uh, having that thrown back that that I have an answer that's going to be that satisfying for, um, you know, what if this is all just uh, a contrivance, but it it felt a bit to me like a contrivance. Um, You know, I, the, the spoken word could have gone a lot worse. The songs are really are good. Um, But there was a point during the movie where after the 17th really flattering costume change, I was wondering where this damaged soul <laughs> was. You know, it's like it, it was like watching somebody sing, uh, you know, a really sad country song. It's like watching a, a Victoria's Secret runway model sing a sad country <laughs> song. It, it doesn't I, necessarily. Which, which by the which by the way, Nash, Nashville does very effectively all the time. I mean, I think you know. But my question is, okay, so what if it's just theater? What if it's just an opera? It's a damn good opera. Yeah, it's a, it's good. It's not. Great. I, I also found myself wondering about halfway through the video, um, and again, I'm, I'm relying heavily on the video, which I probably shouldn't do as much, uh, when is this great singer going to sing great? Um, I, you know, I sort of felt like there was, huh. it, it was very choppy and truncated 
um, a lot of the heavy lifting falls on other people and production. Dance. And then, you know, she shows up, um, you know, with a vocal interlude. Um, but they're not, it's, she doesn't, until the back half of the album, you know, and a song like Freedom, she doesn't carry a lot of the songs necessarily. They seem to be very production heavy and uh, have a lot going on rather than really focusing on on what she does. Christian, let me ask you, and I'm not I, I'm not in this conversation mainly because I have not seen the video, but how does the album stand up on its own versus the, the production, the movie? No, it's a, that's a very fair question. I think, um, you know, I definitely ranked this higher initially um, right after seeing the movie. And the wow then, uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just, it was a, it's a beautiful spectacle. Um, and I think I, I, you know, sort of downgraded a little bit when I had a moment to digest and sort of think about it. And then also when I just listened to the album on its own, I thought, look, this, I still think it's really good. I, I like the idea that this might just be a, a sort of uh, theater um, and that this isn't necessarily, you know, her relationship um, sort of under the microscope. Uh, I sort of prefer the idea that, that this is, um, that this is actually sort of a, a contrivance in some respect because it's a, it's a really compelling one or a really, really uh, thoughtful one. So no, I think the album stands up musically though. Um, and I, I liked it musically more than, more than Wyndham did, I think. So, um, but that said, uh, I encourage everybody to listen to it and watch it. Um, we should, we should probably move on to, uh, yeah, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to throw one oh, on, one more thing in there, which is uh, um, that uh, there was a point, there's a point at which I was taking notes, uh, listening to this, and and uh, there's a, a spoken word interlude where she talks about basically ripping someone to shreds and you know using their uh, scapula as a cane and using their uh, scalp as a cap, and I was like, well, you know who would love this. Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> um, so anyway, that was it was it, it, some of that got like I said got really heavy. So anyway, moving on. Um, Jer, uh, the Hamilton Lighthouser and Rostam record, I believe, is up next at fourteen. What? Give us your take. Yeah. So um, <laughs> not as not as heavy as. Beyonce, Lemonade, there was no accompanying movie or multi-million dollar production, but um, you have, you know, obviously uh, uh, the lead singer from The Walkman and and the music man behind Vampire Weekend teaming together to make what I thought was a a good solo album and, and, uh, or a good, good record. This is one that I, you know, occasionally, so my, my wife likes music a lot, but she's a little more passive than I am, probably doesn't seek out a ton of stuff and every year I think she gloms on to one record that we both enjoy and this was it and I think the the single a thousand times alone is great and um beyond that it's kind of a hit or miss album but there's some great songs on here there's Peaceful Morning is really good uh Rough Going I Won't Let Up um I think Ross Dam brings kind of an interesting musical you know genres to uh to Hamilton and and I love his voice I mean you know I think we're all Walkman fans I think we're all kind of pining for that next great Walkman album but in the meantime I thought this was a a really enjoyable good album and we're actually going to go see him in February so uh, I'll let you know how the live show is yeah I my uh my my concern with the Walkman and I always I uh, like them, but, you know, I always thought they got stuck in third gear uh, too frequently. I really liked when they changed up their tempo and their, um, you know, their, but they're, you know, about, and, it, you know, certain albums it really suits it, like uh, Lisbon or something like that. But sometimes I felt like there was a lot of mid-range stuff on a, on a particular yeah, Walkman and if, album. Yeah, if, if that's your, your dislike of them, this album probably falls more into that category, but I will say... I thought it did, yeah. Instrumentally, it has a little bit of that loose kind of Bob Dylan basement tapes feel. You know, it, it's it's a little more, you know, adventurous musically than, than the Walkman or the, or the Walkman. They're going to sound like the Walkman. I felt like this brought some other styles to the table and i've just i really like his voice i think he's he's got that kind of strained you know like uh been out too late but i think the guy can wail you know he's got a great voice yeah that's actually i i'm kind of with you on that i mean i think that he's uh in in this 
particular album, like the the vocal intensity is is all there. I mean, he's still putting it on display. Maybe not quite as uh, quite as screamy as he was on you know a song like the Rat, which of course is like you know is going to be my favorite uh, my my favorite Walkman song ever. But um, you know, I, I think he's he's definitely he's definitely landed all out there. And, and the more I listen to it, the more I realize there is like a real intensity to to his vocal delivery. Um, it's just that it's sort of confusingly placed over Iron and Wine songs. <laughs> um, and there's you know, it's like, but but there is that that juxtaposition. I think at some level does make for a sort of beautiful and interesting record. Um, I didn't love it as much as you did. But but I definitely think that there's some there's some merit there, and I'd be interested to see like I, I'd like to see those guys work together again. Well, perhaps they will, Actually, and come up with a better name. Yeah, yeah, not not the most creative. <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's a because that's Hamilton a Lighthouser of... and Rostam is not something I am ever going to listen to if I didn't know who they were. Yeah, it's an abundance of consonants. Right there. Jesus. Um, so next up after uh, that one. Actually, what is the title of that album? I'm sorry. I had a dream that you were mine. Okay. Um, number 13 is next, and that is uh, Sturgill Simpson, uh, Sa- uh, Sailor's Guide. And um, I. Uh, it- it's funny. It-, it feels like we're going negative suddenly uh, as we go up the charts, which is an odd thing to do. Um, but I, you know, I, I like this album. Um, it is to me, uh, not as fresh and exciting as Sturgill's previous album. Um, there's really great moments. I think Brace for Impact, um, Welcome to Earth. Apparently it's a song cycle about him having his first child. Um, Breakers Roar. Uh, a really good song but um, I think you know we had talked about this uh, Jeremy and I had talked about this particularly um, you know we felt like there was a little too much kitchen sinking um, in this album there was just because it's there doesn't mean uh, mean it needs to be added Um, just because there's a horn section uh, just because there are strings doesn't mean they all need to be uh, put in the same song that said, I saw Sturgill live uh, a few weeks ago, and the album makes much more sense um, on stage. And like everything, uh, like every time I've seen him live, uh, he really blew the doors off the place. And his band is insanely good, particularly uh, his Estonian guitar player. Um, <laughs> yes, the but, best uh, Estonian honky tonk uh, guitar player I think anywhere on earth. I it, it, absolutely. Um, so when I saw the album live, it really came to life for me. So I spent a large chunk of the year kind of doing battle with this album, not really wanting to listen to it all that much because I liked metamodern sounds so much more. Um, even that, you know, sort of, uh, you know, he's pulled the same trick on consecutive albums where he, he picks a fairly uncharacteristically country song um on the first album it was the promise uh, originally done by when in rome on this one it's in bloom by nirvana which seemed a little too on the nose for me um i agree with that yeah and so i was kind of turned off by the whole uh enterprise but as like i said as i saw it live um it made more sense and i'm looking forward to going back to the album and sort of you know wearing uh a groove into it now um, that it's made more sense. But Wilco is another band that frequently does that for me, where an album doesn't necessarily make sense until I see them live. Um, but in this case, uh, you know, listening to Sturgill uh, cover, you know, Jimmy Buffett would be an above-average album because he's got such a great delivery and such a crack band. So, uh, like I said, this one didn't fit like a glove at the beginning, uh, but I'm wearing into it, and it actually, uh, you know, to the point where, you know, it climbed up to number 13 uh, it, by the end of 2016. It's It's been a big grower for me as well, um, and I, I was definitely, I think that the 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 real reason for that was, was basically that I, after his last album, which I was just so bowled over by, I mean, I loved it. I wore it, wore it, you know. Uh, wore it down completely um, is I wanted these I, I, I wanted him and and his um, Estonian guitar player to go full-blown Leonard Skinnerd 
on their next album, and they went Vegas and Elvis, or excuse me, they went Elvis and Vegas. Um, you know, and I think that that's like the the it just sort of took me off guard, and I, I wasn't really expecting it. Um, and I think you know, it's it's again seeing them, yeah, it really helped the gel for sure. Um, but it just it took some time to warm to this. I think it's really good though, and I I suspect that it's something that I'm gonna like a few years from now where. I'll be curious to see what from this list doesn't quite doesn't quite hold up. Make that leap, yeah. Anyway, so uh, next up, number twelve, um, and I think we, you know, we're going to take yes. a, a turn back to the very positive on this one. Christian, give us your take on Level Up. Absolutely. Um, the first thing I should say is a small disclaimer here. There are 21 albums on this list, and the beautiful mind who put together the Excel sheet um, <laughs> yeah, so managed to... <laughs> we were, yeah, the pause before uh, we delivered the last one. So um, we're, we're going to have 21 albums total. Um, it makes us a little and, different uh, than your average so, top 20 list. It makes us much less, yeah, much uh, weaker quantitative uh, acumen, I think. But um, anyway, the the next album coming in at thirteen, and this really is thirteen this time, um, is uh, is Level Up's album, um, Return to Love, and I I absolutely love this. Um, I think this is a big step up for them from their really straight ahead sort of punk rock album, uh, Hoodwinked, back in um, two thousand fourteen. I think um, I also really enjoyed that. Uh, these guys have. Three, uh, three different songwriters in the band, which is a little unusual. Um, and I think all, it, because they are, um, you know, a relatively simple uh, sort of rock band, I mean, they, they each bring um, sort of a, a distinct perspective to the writing um, that, that really does sort of create a, a different vibe for, for the songs that they, they put out there. Um, you know, I think it's very comfortable and familiar turf uh, for me. I mean, the opening song really does sound like it, it could be Neutral Milk Hotel, um, and the second song sounds like a Built to Spill song to the point that I think when I played it for you, Wyndham, the first time, you said, if I heard this on the radio, I would just assume it was one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think made even the more... good versions of those. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, they're great reference points. I don't mean to suggest that, that this is, uh, you know, I, I always sort of balk when I hear people describe things as reductionist or whatever. It's like... Um, uh, like all, all great rock is, is using reference points um, that people are familiar with. It is, it is just kind of funny to see one songwriter start with, with one tune and another songwriter in the band come in, you know, from, from left field with something else. No, that was um, going to be my smart ass remark was when you said there are three songwriters in the band, I was going to say Jeff Mangum, Doug March, and who's the third, <laughs> but yeah, actually okay. I, I really <laughs> do like these, you know, I really yeah. like these guys and, and I'm, it's, you know, it's not my, it's not my job to police, you know, who's, uh, you know, who's influenced by who necessarily, although I do draw an awful lot of attention to it. Um, but in this <laughs> case, uh, you know, I, I enjoy it enough not to, not to discount it for that reason. Yeah. You played this album yeah, for and me, I'll, Christian. And, and likewise, I, it's an album I haven't worn into as much as, as you have obviously, but, um, it, it sounds like a band that, you know, like I've said before on this pod, that has the same record collection as I do, and and I love that. And I, I thought it was really a great album. Yeah, exactly. They're just better musicians than you are, right? Um, so no, I mean I'm totally with you. That's how I feel. They're better I, at math like, than you are. Hey, all right, <laughs> okay. They have twelve. No, I mean thirteen songs on their album. Um, Hidden yeah, track. So no, I mean I think it's it's all of those things. It's it's a it's a very familiar. Um, familiar grooves that have, you know, filtered through the prism of, of my local garage rock scene. So I, I really can't complain. Um, and we will actually see them make a, uh, make a, make a re-entrance in this list a little further up because of the record label that they run, which is double, double whammy. So sweet. Well, that said, uh, I think our first number 11 on this list <laughs> is, um, <laughs> Lydia Loveless. Jer, give us what, give us your take. Yeah. So, um, talking about kind of brightening some of the album selections here and, and not to, you know, kind of harp on any of the ones prior. I, I love this record. <laughs> it's, um, it's one of those albums that, that really surprised me. And, uh, Lydia Loveless is from Ohio. Um, kind of a cool backstory or I think she sort of grew up on a, a farm in Ohio, like someone else that we'll be mentioning later. But, um, dad was a music booker, you know, booked bands at a local bar and um, ended up actually playing drums on her first album. And, and so 
real is exactly as the title states. It's, it's a it's a it's a real album. I mean, she she is somebody who wears her heart kind of on her sleeve and and sings lyrics that that seem very personal to me, but. I can't it's hard to describe like what she sounds like because it's a mix of sort of the pop kind of uh power pop stuff that we like uh, country um a little bit of exine from x and and um and she's got a great voice and she's young i mean like she's 26 yeah. or 28 um i was picking up kind of a maria mckee yeah lone justice from lone justice back in the day absolutely it, it reminds me a lot of lone justice except for I felt like Lone Justice was a New York band doing country, and I feel like Lydia Lovelace is is you know has a, a country influence and is doing like pop or something. I don't I don't know, but songs like Longer, Midwestern Guys, um, more than ever. I just every year there's something that kind of pops up and and, and surprises you, and this is that album for me. It, it, it's you know it, I think it was ranked higher on my list, but it it's definitely an album that I high, highly recommend for anybody who likes. Um, you know, kind of American country pop music. It, it's a great record. And, and I think somebody, the exciting thing is we have, uh, you know, Margot Price later on in the list. I think two women and Lydia Lovelace being kind of, you know, one that I'm champion right now that have a really bright future. You know, it's funny, not not on the list, but it just recently came out as uh, Miranda Lambert, who I also think, um, you know, is a, is a very good at, at delivering a song. And I think that's a lot of what country... Um, I think that's a lot of what makes a country artist. You know, it's, you know there's a lot it's good of good storytelling, wordplay, and good storytelling. But it's a, it's an emotive quality to a voice that makes it feel um, genuine and lived in. Yeah, there's songs is, on here you know. too. When I mean that, like, are and both you guys that I mean, I think are as universal as sort of a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> and then there's songs that are, you know, she has. There's something that I can't put my finger on. I'll say with this album. Um, a lot like kind of X or the Blasters or some of those bands back from the '80s, Lone Justice. That, that there's something even I think more universal to her to her sound, which is great. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it country, I guess is what I'm getting at, but it it definitely has a country tinge. The funny thing about Lone Justice, and I don't know if you remember this, but uh, their their couple of hit singles, their uh, first couple of hit singles, were actually written by Tom Petty. No, I didn't know that. That's cool. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, they were, a, they were sort of a slash band that was doing country. It was interesting. Um, anyway, moving on from Lydia Lovelace, who I'm looking forward to listening to more. Um, I'm going to go to uh, my number 11, which is the second number 11 on this list, and that is Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Skeleton Tree. And it's a really difficult thing to try and, and talk about this album uh, with any sense of joy, uh, I I highly recommend it. It's very contemplative. Um, if you don't know already, uh, about halfway through the recording of this album, uh, Nick Cave's teenage son died in a tragic accident, um, which, you know, and I, and I don't mean this flippantly, but um, I don't think Nick Cave records by... Their very nature are particularly light. Um, I think this album um, is is a sort of classic in the Nick Cave oeuvre, but I don't know that it necessarily reflects um, a tragedy. Although people say that they can they can hear it in the in the tone of the songs. I happen to be a big fan. It's a very spare record. Um, it doesn't um, necessarily have. Uh, you know some of the dynamics and some of the uh, more f- you know fire and brimstone. There's there's parts of Nick Cave's uh, songbook that can sound very much uh, like a crazy Australian man doing a Southern preacher uh, kind of uh, routine. But uh, this is this is more uh, contemplative, more of the sort of boatman's call, um, but with a with a much more dire tone to it. Um, you know, songs like Jesus Alone, Rings of Saturn, Girl in Amber. Um, it, uh, you know, it's it's largely piano, um, drums played with brushes, and, you know, Nick Cave's uh, sort of unique um, uh, lyricism and vocal delivery. Uh, if you are a fan of Nick Cave, you're going to love this album. If you... It, 
if you're not a convert, you're not a convert. But uh, and I know I don't think Christian is. Um, I, and Jeremy sort of, you know, like most of the general population, you know, uh, had a phase and, you know, sort of admires him more than he listens to him. But I, I happen to be a, a dyed in the wool fan and, um, you know, I'm, I'm blown, blown away. Another album, I think, like, uh, or another artist like Radiohead who kind of needs to be listened to in full rather than um, cherry picking. So I think he's uh, great for this 2016 album list, but not necessarily an artist for these times because of the, um, you know, the sort of uh, single song plucking that that uh, we tend to do now. Yeah, I, I think my my reaction to that is sort of that he he definitely wins my 2016 poetry reading uh, top 20 list, and he's the only person on it. But um, you know, oh, sorry, I, I thought I, the interludes and in, in lemonade <laughs> were. Yeah, exactly. Okay, fine. So, um, but no, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the hard part for me in listening to this was you have this, you have that incredible um, sort of uh, grinding um, uh, sort of machine sound in the back of, of the first song on this album. Um, but there are, by my count, three actual songs on the album. The others are sort of uh, sing-songy, and I don't say sing-songy to be flippant, I just mean like it is sort of uh, sing-songy, lyrically delivered, um, uh, you know, but it's it's almost a, it's almost bard-like, if that makes sense. It's a recital. And, and it actually, it reminds me of, well, but it reminds me, and I, I, I hate to, you know, dive into such a sort of obscure religious reference here, but I mean, of having to, you know, anytime I had to go to church as a kid, like it reminds me of when, um, you go to you go to church and people like sort of sing the Eucharist um, or, or around the communion or whatever, and that that sort of but it's yeah yeah no totally I mean and that's that's really it it's like you, you sort of don't really I mean of course the the lyrics are extraordinarily powerful in his case and and I completely uh, am receptive to that and, and like it a great deal but I, it's just it isn't a no, I can hear it. Where, where are the songs? People, you know, I understand people who admire him more than they want to listen to him, and I, I definitely understand that. Um, I don't happen to be one of those people. I happen to actually really enjoy listening to him, and, and I find him, as you guys were saying, you know, sort of airport, whacked out, um, you know, traveling alone. There's times when I love throwing on a Nick Cave record um, and just, you know kind of you kind of feel like you dissolve a little bit into the into the background and then you're watching other people who can't see you and you're judging rather harshly as a result so um anyway that's my uh that's, that's a my dark little interlude jeremy would yeah, you exactly. do you have anything to brighten this <laughs> up or no i mean i just think he's i think you know i honestly to be honest i gave this album a spin and, and I'm, I'm i fall firmly in the camp of I've much respect for nick cave i love a couple of his albums but but rarely go to him for much. And, uh, but I, I think it, it's a guy that, you know, you're either all in or you're not. And I, he's like, you know, some of the Radiohead conversation we had earlier, he's somebody you kind of have to, you have to listen to the whole thing. So it makes total sense. And, and maybe on one of my flights somewhere I will, but, um, you know, yeah. I, I think that's where I'm at with it. So I, I yeah. Only if you're trying to down the plane. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it's one of those ones you throw on and you're like, well, if this thing crashes, fuck it. Um, <laughs> so, but I, I do, I, it, speaking of being all in on Nick Cave, though, and this will be the end of, of my Nick Cave... Uh, um, Depression fest? Pontification, but um, I, I, I will say that I always wonder what it would be like to be a Nick Cave or a prince or somebody who occupies that who occupies their character 24 7 who and i don't by any means i mean to say that i think he's a put on or a or a construct i don't at all but i I just i can't imagine going through life being nick cave it would be a strange thing that it would sounds like it would be really really hard yeah um so ladies and gentlemen i think that wraps up the skeleton tree yeah yeah in gauze um Lord, here so let's take a let's take a break uh and then we will come back uh and finish up our uh first half of 
best of 2016. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Um, we're going to end this uh, part one of the best albums of 2016 podcast with uh, the way we end all of our podcasts uh, here and going forward. And that is with a little segment called What Are You Listening To? Um, it's kind of a catch-all for whatever you're listening to, watching, reading, whatever you're paying attention to, whatever's on your mind. So Christian, what are you listening to? So I will start off with uh, with Abby Reimold's um, debut record, which is called Wriggling. Uh, that came out this year and, and sort of came up as I was uh, as I was putting together my best of the year list. Um, I think she's got a, a really impressive sort of vocal range and and you know can go pretty quickly from um, actually singing a song I think with a, a pretty powerful voice um, to these sort of great you know meter and. and time changes that, that become, you know, much more sort of staccato in the course of a single song. And, and, um, I would, I would point to one song in particular that I love, which is called clouded. Um, I just, I thought this was a really great tune. So, um, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to see what she comes up with next. Cool. What are you listening to, Jer? Uh, well, not listening, but watching. And, um, we just finished the, um, opening first season of High Maintenance on HBO. It was a web series originally by Ben Sinclair and I think you say his wife, is it Katja uh, Blitchfield? And uh, it's just a great, I love the web series. I think, Christian, you turned me on to it originally and and then they moved it on to an HBO series. I was a little suspect as to how it would work out with HBO and and it's a, you know, ongoing kind of slice of life, New York sort of short story vignettes um and the you know kind of theme or or reoccurring theme is is a uh you know marijuana dealer um you know dealer who deals weed on his bike but it's so much more than that i I really love the show i I think the best part about it is the sort of drug dealer story is is really kind of a, a side note and it's more about just kind of everyday life and different stories in new york and uh uh, I think it was one of the most impressive shows of, of 2016 as well. So I, I really enjoyed it and highly recommend it. Yeah, totally. I, liked it a lot too. I, I would just add that, yeah, I mean, it was funny. I was I, precisely to your point, I think. I was uh, I was trying to tell my mom that she would really like this show. Um, but of course, I got to the point where I had to explain that it was about a guy who deals weed on his bicycle. Um, and I could sort of see like her face screw up. And, and then I realized she bicycles. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, and and commerce. Um, but no, it was uh, it was one of these things where like it, it's it's great because this guy, you know, he he's able to wander into anybody's life, anybody's apartment, and capture fifteen minutes of whatever their problems are and whatever their issues are, and it really is sort of this beautiful window into so many different stories, and they're they're really great storytellers so yeah well, i think uh, yeah i really like that one too and and actually if i'm not mistaken he doesn't even have a, a name correct uh, i don't know not yeah, that i remember right because i'm he's not that, remembering he, it because he doesn't <laughs> he's, he's that much of a fly on the wall yeah. i think he's referred to always as the guy or the pot guy yeah. um anyway um so i guess you're wondering what i'm listening to um mine's a two for one is what i'm watching and i started watching search party this week, um, it's TBS, which is unusual. Um, it is, 
the return, the uh, triumphant return of, of maybe Funke, Aaliyah Aaliyah Shawcross. No, Aaliyah Shawcott. Um, and she plays a, a woman in her uh, mid-20s, a millennial, who lives in Brooklyn, who doesn't really have a ton going on and gets obsessed with the reported disappearance of a former college classmate who she wasn't particularly close with. But but um, as uh, happens a lot, people want to be part of a, of a story or have a connection to a, a story. And so she sort of fabricates uh, a deeper friendship than actually existed. It's a really, really smart, funny... Um, it is a celebration and a uh, evisceration of millennial culture as it is right now, and in both parts of that are really good. Uh, they're really good at doing both. And well, um, go ahead. I for one, I for one, am really uh, offended that you would suggest that people would be in Brooklyn with nothing going on. Um, no, but uh, on a more serious note, I actually think that that sort of what I just said is. is is really the thing that that is most striking about this is how perfectly it captures how everybody has to personalize um, sadness and basically how incredibly selfish everybody uh, is, you know, in, the, in their mid twenties. Sounds like um, reaction the to the Nick Cave album, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, actually, <laughs> no. speaking of uh, the Nick Cave but, album, sorry. The, uh, go ahead. No, go go for it. No, I was going to say, speaking of the Nick Cave album, I'm also uh, reading a book called Blood in the Water, uh, which is a 500 page um, very very meticulously researched history of the 1971 Attica uprising which um, coupled with skeleton tree (laughs) (laughs) we have a hotline Uh, for you Wyndham (laughs) I just want to make sure that you know the number yeah so if you guys have the holiday if you're going home for the holidays (laughs) let me recommend uh, throw on some skeleton tree pick up blood in the water and um, hey uh, call call the weed guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, um, I think that's it. All right. All thanks right. so much for listening. And everybody, yeah, we look forward to finishing up next week with, uh, so with part two. Tune in for part two. That's it for today's episode of the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And drop us a line at brotherpod.com. Thanks very much to Damien Kendall for producing and from Wyndham, Jeremy, and Christian. See you next time.